Hello everyone, this is Katie Jason, owner of the Better Humans Project, and I know it's been a while since I made a podcast, so I apologize for that. It's been a busy summer, as I'm sure it has been for most of you, um, and I do have some big plans coming up in the near future that I, I'm not going to uh, let the public know just, just quite yet, but you will find out soon enough. And uh, I've also just been studying medical herbalism, or uh, clinical botanical medicine. So it has been quite a bit of uh, studying chemistry and just going back into, um, you know, hexanes, pentose, and all those other, you know, great, great little chemical compounds. And um, so... Here I am, and today I would like to talk about anti-nutrients and what are they, how can we reduce them in our diet, and how did they kind of come about. Now, there are quite a few different anti-nutrients. Um, now, I'm really going to talk about the main three, which are uh, phytates or phytic acid, uh, oxalate or oxalic acid, and lectins. The other ones are glucosinolates or goitrogens, which um, those are mostly found in cruciferous vegetables. But, you know, don't be afraid because cruciferous vegetables are probably among the most beneficial of the plant foods that you can eat. Their health benefits are, you know, wide ranging and, and just really incredible altogether. Um, but what those can do is they can block iodine absorption. But again, you'd have to eat a heck of a lot of them. And then you'd also have to have very little iodine intake to actually uh, have any thyroid problems or even develop a goiter. So I'm not going to talk about that. That's really all I have to say about that. Um, tannins, tannins, you find that in tea in coffee and wine that's where you like your dry wines that those have a lot of tannins in them those are proteins that kind of dry out your gums and give you that dry feeling and that's why some coffees and teas you can also get that same feeling um, tannins can block iron absorption so if you do take an iron supplement, just make sure that maybe you take it at night before bed so that you're not, it's not interfering if you're drinking coffee or tea during the day or something like that. Or, um, now, uh, phytoestrogens is another one. Phytoestrogens is like the plant version of an, of an estrogen. So that's um, more uh, hormonal and... Um, just be aware of this one because, uh, it, you know, it comes from soybeans, um, mostly and be aware that a lot of these protein bars and all of these packaged foods that are claiming to have a lot more protein in them, just make sure you read on the, um, ingredients because a lot of them are saying soy protein isolate or just soy protein or, you know, all sorts of different variations of this soy and men in particular need to be aware of this because it will mimic estrogen. And, you know, obviously men, you know, you don't want to turn into a woman, but, you know, we're not going to get into that right now. Uh, so, all right. Now, um, there is another one, saponins. I, to be honest, I don't know much about that, so I'm not going to talk about it. But um, like I said, the, the other three... 
uh, phytic acid, oxalic acid, and lectins. Now, if you want to know a lot more information about these, you can definitely look into the work of Sally Norton as well as George Diggs. Uh, Sally Norton is pretty informative. I know she has done her, her homework. However, I think that she is pretty aggressively against eating any food that has these in them. I'm not, I, I'm not so extreme, though I do appreciate her information and the work that she's done. I prefer to listen to George Diggs. I think he has a more like a well-rounded approach to eating these foods. And um, he's been studying this for quite a long time. He's an evolutionary biologist. So really what he has, what he has done is he's been in the lab researching a lot of plants over time. So he has researched, you know, what what certain plants or, or crops like wheat and um, soybeans, you know, what were the chemical constituents of them 100 years ago versus what they are now. Um, he also takes a look at, you know, how the liver processes these and, and all sorts of really cool things. So um, if you want to know more information, definitely look into George Diggs for more information about these. But um, so what he talks about is that, you know, these plants they produce these anti-nutrients because they can't run away like a, you know, like a normal, you know, prey animal would be able to if it were um, threatened. And so they produce a lot of these anti-nutrients to keep away bugs, rodents, you know, f you know, fungus or anything else that might damage its growth. And um, interestingly enough, these plants, the more overproduced they are, the more they're going to produce these chemicals because over time they're going to say, they're going to adapt and they're going to say like, I don't want to be eaten anymore, right? And so, so a lot of these um, plants, especially wheat, right? So I think the three largest uh, crops we have here in America are soybean, corn, and wheat. And so that's why a lot of them are starting to show up as highly inflammatory foods in people's diets, which they didn't used to be 100 years ago because they weren't so overproduced. But now that they are, they've produced so much of their own um, defense chemicals. And another interesting thing is that if certain plants, well, actually, I, I would probably say most plants, um, so fruits and vegetables, will have higher concentrations of these anti-nutrients um, before they are ripe. And that is because basically the, the plant can also use some of these anti-nutrients in the development of the plant itself. And so if it's not fully ripe, it's still going to have higher concentrations of those that haven't been used by the plant. So uh, I know that that's true with... Um, I believe it's like apricots or plums. Some fruit with a pit, uh, if you eat it too soon, it, it can have more, uh, more anti-nutrient. It might even be cyanide. Now, I know there is cyanide in apple seeds. I do think the same thing goes for that. So if you're eating apples before they have fully developed, um, they will have more uh, cyanide. And I... Uh, I well, nobody's really going around eating apple seeds anyway. So, but um, 
I have also heard that cherry cherry leaves, I believe, so like the leaves of a cherry tree, um, once they die, they will actually start to produce a lot of cyanide. So um, now I, I mean, it depends on like if you're a farmer, your you know your livestock or whatever are you know you have a cherry tree nearby, you definitely don't want them eating those leaves. Um, but again, I don't. I doubt any of you listening to this podcast are walking around eating, you know, dead cherry leaves. So not really anything to worry about, but, you know, it's just very interesting to know how plants can change over time or uh, even in just a season, in a, in, a, in a season of time or, you know, uh, where they're at in their development can have totally different um effects on us and and have totally different compounds that can be lethal or beneficial so it's just interesting now um okay so the oxalates um all well all three of them they can bind to your metals and so they can disrupt um nutrient absorption in particular uh, oxalic acid, I think, is is more particular to calcium, but it can also um, block uh, iron, magnesium, and zinc. And the lectins and the phytic acid, they also can uh, mess with the absorption of all of those and, and phosphorus too. So, you know, some of the foods uh, that are high in oxalates, surprisingly, is spinach, actually. Apparently, spinach has the highest amount of oxalic acid. And um, let's see, a lot of nuts and seeds, um, sweet potatoes, potatoes, beets. Um, that's both the leaf and the root. Um, like I said, not, yeah, almonds, cashews, uh yeah, there's actually, there's quite a few foods that have high uh, oxalic acid content. Now, oxalic acid is actually the uh, the anti-nutrient best known for causing kidney stones. So if you or anyone you know has issues with that or has a history of kidney stones, these are definitely foods you want to look into avoiding for sure, okay? Um you also want to make sure that if you are eating oxalic, high oxalic foods, uh, again, I, I'm I'm not in the I'm not in the category of not eating them and, and demonizing them by any means, unless you have a condition that that you would need to. But you would want to be careful to um, make sure you're eating foods that also have high calcium to counteract. Um, what the oxalic acid does. So here's something interesting about oxalic acid is when, when you eat these foods with, with a lot of that in it, it binds to these um, nutrients like the calcium, like the, like the magnesium, and and like the zinc. And it basically creates a crystal. And there's I, 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 there's a few different formations it can take but it usually takes the form of a crystal and some of them can actually be shards and so they'll you know filter through the blood and then they'll deposit themselves into your tissue now if you are somebody who eats a lot 
of these foods and you know not enough of the other metals you can potentially have a thickening or a hardening of your tissues in various areas but again tends to um, have an affinity for the kidneys um, now lectins lectins can actually be found in peppers cucumbers tomatoes um, a lot of wheat wheat products and just uh, grain products altogether, grains and as well as nuts and seeds. So um, I should just say legumes because that would be nuts and seeds and beans. And now um, the phytic acid um, is also found in pretty much those same foods, except maybe not so much the the cucumbers. Um, peppers but definitely in the grains and what we see and that and that's that's kind of why you see a lot of these diets like the paleolithic diet um trying to convince people to stay away from whole grains is because the whole grains do have a lot of all three of them they kind of fall into that category that just you know modifies or blocks or alters uh, nutrient absorption altogether now of course there are very you know, uh, sophisticated uh, processes that happen in the body with all of these. But um, here are some of the ways that we can actually reduce them, which is the beautiful thing. And that's why I'm not, I'm not really in the, in the school of thought to just completely not eat them altogether. Um, in fact, I believe that we should be eating a, a very diverse amount of fruits and vegetables and I, I think that if we get in the habit of eating the same ones over and over and over again then yes these these anti-nutrients can start to collect and concentrate but if we have a multi varied diet we can also counteract the anti-nutrients because there's also lots of um, micronutrients that can, you know, bind to the to, to the anti-nutrients and and um, detoxify them from the body as well. So, and I have my own I have my own little theory that you know I have I have heard this confirmed in other areas, but it was not from like a published scientific paper or anything. But it was just from you know people that I trust and saying that. Um, if you have a food that you are starting to crave now, not like, no, not processed food, like not a, not a hot dog or something like that, but, but like legitimately like if you are craving apples or something for a certain period of time, there most likely is a certain micronutrient in there that your body is lacking. And there are, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of different compounds in our foods that are specific to that food that you can't find in any other fruit or vegetable. And, you know, again, that's why we need to have this multivaried diet. But anyways, the other thing too is that they have tiny amounts, all foods. Okay, so so these these top three fight, you know, phytates, oxalates, and lectins aside, all foods, all plants and vegetables do have their own specific anti-nutrient 
but it's just in such a tiny amount that it's pretty much like giving yourself a vaccine. And that's why people who have a multi-varied diet of lots of fruits and vegetables are so healthy and resilient because they're basically, you know, kind of vaccinating themselves every time they eat a little bit of these. Now, what happens, like kind of going back to what I was saying, is if you're craving a certain food, if you're craving apples, there's probably a certain, you know, chemical compound in there that your body is really um, in need of. And and I don't know if anybody has ever experienced this, but I get this a lot, you know, where I where I crave a certain food. And then it's like, as soon as I like hit my cap, then it's like I then I'm done. Like I have no craving for it whatsoever. I don't want it anymore. And it's almost like our body's way of saying, okay, you've gotten everything that you needed from it. And maybe you are also at the point of reaching the cap of the anti-nutrient or the poison that it, that it also contains. So just something interesting to think about. But um, going back to how can we decrease these in our foods, some of you may have heard me talk about... Um, soaking your seeds and nuts and giving them like a salt bath before you eat them. And if you have not, I will talk about that now. Um, It's soaking or you can even sprout your your grains. Um, There's a couple other processes you can boil. You can boil them. I know that will decrease... um, a lot of these anti-nutrients in, in, any of, in any of the foods, whether it be a fruit, a vegetable, or a grain, or a legume. Um, pressure cooking can also break down a lot of them, and I do believe lectins in particular. I think it, like, denaturizes them or something. Um, and fermenting. That's why fermenting is a beautiful thing, and that's why fermenting has been around for many, many years. Fermenting is an ancient practice. Uh, and it's, again, it's, it's amazing. And I think I talk about that in one of my other podcasts, like, uh, maybe a bacteria podcast or something like that. But, um, yeah, fermentation is, is awesome. And you can ferment just about anything with salt. And I know I talk about that in another podcast as well. Salt is good for you. Um, and uh, it's just a natural, it's, it's a natural antimicrobial. Um, every single cell in your body needs salt in order to function. Again, sodium chloride, not any other uh, variation of it. Sodium benzoate, uh, sodium nitrate, nitrite, any of those other ones. Those are not the ones I'm talking about. Your body needs sodium chloride. Uh, but anyways, yeah, you can... Um, ferment just about anything with either a, a brine, which is salt water, just put your veggies in there, or, you know, like cabbage has its own water content that you just add a bunch of salt and you just knead it all together. You're going to create your own sauerkraut, which is really cool. Anyways, um, okay, so going back to soaking nuts and seeds, uh, if any of you ever, you know, if any of you want to know how to do this, I'm sure there's lots of YouTube videos out there, or you can contact me. I have a document that I can send you that has the instructions for it. It's very, very simple. And um, basically, you will um, put salt and um, whatever nut, nut or seed you want into a stainless steel bowl, fill it with water. And I put a little bit of apple cider vinegar in there just because the water is going to be sitting. You don't want anything growing in there. And you let it sit for 12 12 hours. 
Then you rinse it, you do it again for another 12 hours. Some people say you can do it just for the 12 hours. That's fine. I like to do mine for 24 just to make sure um, because I can tell you some really nasty stuff comes out of there in the first 12 hours. Like when I rinse that water, <laughs> it's pretty disgusting. And it's 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 fascinating really. Um, like you just, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and the nuts and seeds taste so much better. It's like night and day. So if you have an almond or a cashew or whatever, a sunflower seed that has not been soaked, it's very dense and thick and almost kind of oily. And after you um, soak it and then dry it, it has a, it's crunchier, it's lighter. um, It's not as heavy and it's really, it's just so much more enjoyable. So I would really, really recommend you try this. And um, yeah, so now what's happening when you're, when you're soaking it is you're basically starting the sprouting process. And that's why you can go even further if you'd like. Now, just soaking them in the salt bath, you can, you can reduce quite a few of the anti-nutrients. However, if you wanted to sprout them, that would actually be just an, an additional benefit because what happens in the DNA and in the, in, in the, um, in the sugars themselves inside of these nuts and seeds. So the, the, the carbohydrates, the fatty acids, the proteins, they're, they're so compact just due to the, the chemical, um, structures basically how these how the chemicals bind to each other they can make it so that they're so they're very very compact and once you soak them and even then sprout them what happens is you start to break little chemical bonds so that these these um, macronutrients start to break apart and then they become what we what's called bioavailable and so that's another th- beautiful thing, you know, anti-nutrients aside, the beautiful thing about um, soaking and sprouting even your nuts and seeds or even your legumes is that they become more bioavailable, me- meaning that your body can actually utilize the nutrients in them because they start to break apart, okay? So let's say you have an ounce of almonds that you eat that have not been soaked or sprouted, your body's probably not going to break down much of it or use much of it. Plus, you're going to have all of the anti-nutrients to go along with it. Now, if you're, um, if they're soaked and sprouted, your body's going to use that ounce of almonds a, a lot more um, in... Uh, in your body. So, um, yes, just some, some things to think about. So definitely give, uh, give it a try. And I, I guess I covered everything that I wanted to talk about. And, um, yeah, as always, if you guys have any questions whatsoever, you can always contact me by email, katie at betterhumansproject.com. I hope this helped. Uh, don't be afraid of fruits and vegetables. Like I said, they really are so important to our diet. And um, 
but you know, we just have to know how to prepare them. That's another reason why it always says like with rice or other, other grains to rinse them. Um, but I would say to, to, to soak them for sure. Uh, and something interesting, I don't know if, uh, if any of you mess around with lentils or quinoa or anything like that. I used to get like bad gas, like I'd get you know, stomach pains and then like, just like, it just like farting smelled bad. And so I didn't eat them. Like I just didn't want to eat them until I started soaking them. And, um, since I started soaking lentils and quinoa, none, like I have no gas whatsoever. And again, it's because the anti-nutrients are, um, getting pulled out of them and my body's actually utilizing, um, the, the amazing benefits that are kind of locked away in the DNA and in the, in the cells of, of this um, plant. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. That was a little bit longer, but as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for supporting the Better Humans Project. And until next time, um, this is Katie Jason, owner of the Better Humans Project.